What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jay Crawford, coming back at you with another edition of Excuse My Bias, NBA edition, where we still love the game, even though the season's over. Which is it? I don't love. I lose from night to night, you find me. Now, James, this isn't the... Thank you, James. Yeah, man, we're back at it here today, man. Going to cover... Our main topic today is your your guy Dennis Rodman the Worm. He went on uh, ESPN's first take with Stephen A. and Max Kellerman, and he was asked a couple questions there. Uh, of course, on the goat situation, and uh, the one that we're going to focus on today was um, whether that Golden State Warriors team of Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm assuming they're talking about the 2017 version. Uh, would beat the 96 Bulls, the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls there. Uh, we're going to give my thoughts in a minute. We're going to play Dennis's clip there. Of course, he did go with the Bulls. Everybody, you know, every former player is going to pick their own team and themselves. And I can, you know, who can blame them? You got to have that confidence to be a star. Um, but, yeah, we're going to cover that. Uh, I'm going to cover briefly before that, though, just kind of get into the NBA draft a little bit. Not not going to go too deep in it, honestly. Um, I told you guys on my last podcast that I wasn't going to do a preview show um, for the for the NBA draft just because I knew there would be so much influx so many trades swapping picks other players and gone so a preview is really just crazy you know no one's going to be able to predict all of the moves that was going to go on so there was no point of previewing it and really it was so many trades that went on i think it was a record amount of trades for a draft that to me the dust still hasn't even settled for us to really know who won the draft you know who who fits where you know What's really going on? So I, I, I'm not even going to really even cover the draft too much. I'm just going to kind of get into the top three guys, um, you know, that everybody knows. Zion, John Morant, and um, uh, R.J. Barrett, of course. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to start off with uh, Zion. Duh, that's my guy there. Um, as you guys know from my last podcast with the response to my guy, Jay Williams, um, I, I do have some Duke allegiance there. I do have some love for Duke. Um, I, like I said, I did fall in love with the Duke Blue Devils uh, during that time when Jay Will got Jay Will got there. Carlos Boozer, Chris Duhon, Mike Dunleavy. That was one of the great squads. That that squad holds a special place special place there uh, in my heart. There, that was a uh, you know freshman year, sophomore year, high school. So that team holds a special place in my heart there. Um, but I, like I said, I did admit after, um, <laughs> after that Fab Five documentary came out, uh, that did make me kind of wince a little bit with Duke and kind of fall back on them. Just seeing how they recruited back in the days when uh, Chris Webber, Jalen Rose, those guys were um, about to go and enter college. So I did take a little step back on Duke for a little bit, jump back on them um, really this year. When Zion came on board, even though they, you know, Duke had some good years previously as well, but I still wasn't as interested in the team. This year, team definitely was a rock star type atmosphere around the team. Lots of media coverage, and of course, it was because of the number one pick there. 
uh, Zaya Wilson, who's going to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, it's hard to really predict so far what's you know his season's going to be like because the Pelicans roster is still being uh, molded and created. You know, you still have to see you know what happens with Julius Randle. Will he resign? Will he go elsewhere? Um, Brandon, uh, Brandon Ingram, will he be able to play next year with the blood clots there? How does that work? Um, and then they got a lot of young pieces there. Um, and I'm not so sure yet that the pieces fit around Zion just yet. You know, they, they kind of got a lot of guys who do the same thing to a certain degree. Um, no shooters really on the team. I mean, Drew Holiday can shoot, of course, but he's a scorer more than a pure shooter so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how you know that that team shapes up um you know i have a lot of confidence in griff though uh this is excuse my bias the one and only bias sports podcast show but it's not the one and only because we all have biases just different biases how to get our slogan out the way but um with that being said i do have a bias to uh, David Griffin because I am a LeBron fan and I saw the great job David Griffin did of building a team around LeBron in Cleveland really with limited, very limited funds because they had to pay Kyrie and Kevin Love so much that he really worked a lot of magic to put guys around LeBron who fit his style and to fit, you know, his, his temperament as well. A lot of veteran guys. LeBron is not a big fan of youth and uh, younger guys. He likes guys who are ready to go. So I have confidence in in uh, Griff that he's going to build a team properly around Zion. Um, so, like I said, that's why I said it's going to be hard to figure out how this roster is going to look come opening day. You know, what, what are they going to do with Alfred Payton? You know, Alfred Payton, excuse me. Because now that you have Zion there, you just got Alfred Payton last year, and he missed most of the season with injuries. But really, if you looked at the last 15, 20 games that he did play, he played very damn well. He had a couple triple doubles at the end of the season. So you wonder how that's going to work. Will he be moved now because Zion is there? You know, will they try to keep them both there? So there's a lot going on. To So it's going to be kind of hard to predict how his season is going to go from a statistical standpoint, from a projection for rookie of the year standpoint. Um, I, don't, I don't think he will win rookie of the year just because I think that roster is going to have so much turnover. And it's going to be built in a way where I believe Griff is going to balance out the team. I don't think he's going to put so much on Zion where he's going to have to carry the load night in and night out. And a lot of times the rookie of the year goes to guys who have to carry the load night in and night out. Uh, Look at the rookie of the year for this year coming up because we have the awards coming up tomorrow on Monday. Today's Sunday. Um, so you have Luka Doncic and and Trey uh, Young obviously leading the way, and those are two young guys who teams had losing records and they had to carry the bulk of the team. Um, I really don't know if Zion's going to be in that position. The Pelicans may be in a position to actually get a playoff seed. He might they may actually be in a position to really make a little bit of impact in the West if Griff packages up some of these picks and some of these players properly to maybe get a big star to come in there as well um, or maybe just get the right amount of 3 and D guys to go around them. So I, I really don't think Zion's going to have enough responsibility to qualify him to win Rookie of the Year. Um, 
I honestly think John Morant is going to have that that opportunity there uh, to win Rookie of the Year because of the the workload. I think he's going to have to carry. Um, but we're going to get to him in a moment. But um, I, and, and just kind of piggybacking off my own thoughts right there, something just kind of popped in my head. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Rookie of the Year situation with Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. Like LeBron James won Rookie of the Year. Because obviously he had great stats and everything, but he had to carry a much heavier load for his team. And his team still did well, especially for his rookie year. Um, you know, they um, didn't make the playoffs, but they still won, you know, 30, mid-30 as far as games won there. Um, and, you know, that, they, for, for that roster, you know, with you know Darius Miles and uh, a young boozer and a lot of those other guys, Juan Wagner... It was it was really a, a really wild team. So Braun really taking that team there from a 17 win pace. I mean, 17 win uh, season previously to a 35 or 36 win. I can't remember the, off the top of my head, but you know he basically doubled up their wins with just him being at it. So that and, and the, the stats and everything else qualified him to get the rookie of the year. But it reminded me of that because Carmelo Anthony, the Denver Nuggets, actually made the playoffs their first year. But because Carmelo Anthony's team was better, he didn't have to carry as much of the load, which led to LeBron getting a little bit more of, more of the votes because they saw how much of the load he had to carry. So I kind of could see that kind of being the same scenario to a degree between Zion and John Morant. Um, but getting back to Zion really quickly, you've been hearing a lot of uh, NBA comparisons for him. And he's hard. I, I, it's one thing I don't agree with Max Kellerman a whole lot, but I did agree with one thing that he said. And it said comparing Zion is really like kind of creating Frankenstein. It's like you really have to take a little bit of this guy, a little bit of that guy. You know, you had to combine three and four guys to really figure out, you know, who does this guy really compare with? Because we really haven't seen a guy like that ever before who's that big. You know who's that strong? Who can jump that high? It's it's really you know, <laughs> it, it, it's really just it's just almost impossible there to really compare him to one individual player. So you've heard different things from, you know, Charles Barkley to the with the with the leaping ability of uh, Sean Kemp. You've even heard you know his teammate at the moment, uh, Julius Randle, thrown in there you know, with a couple other guys. So you really have to like kind of mesh him with a lot of different guys there to kind of come up with his comparison. And even Blake Griffin. Sorry, I, I was thinking about uh, it was another player I was thinking about off the top of my head too. Blake Griffin as well. Um so he is a combination of all those guys. Uh he has he's a really good ball handler for his size. Even though he's not super tall, he's only six six. Um but being two eighty that that size there, he's going to be the second biggest guy in the league from day one. I think Boban is the only guy who's weighs more than him at the moment, and Boban's like seven six. So you know you can just you can just see the difference there that he's going to have with everybody else. It's part from a physicality standpoint. But I do want to say there's a couple things that's going to interest me once he um does get into the league and start banging up against guys. My, the first thing that's going to be interesting to me is how is he going to respond when he really goes up against a guy who can knock him off his spot? When he goes up against a guy who, because you got to think about it, in college, 
high school, he could get anywhere he wanted. You, you could try as hard as you wanted. You could have all the best intentions in the world. But you weren't stopping him from getting to his spot. You know, if you didn't, you didn't get in his position to take a charge. You weren't going to stop him there. Now he's playing against grown men who are not as big as him and probably not even as strong as him just from a, a sheer, you know, lifting weight standpoints maybe. But that grown men's strength is real. And uh, <laughs> and it's just interesting. It's going to be interesting to see when he goes against the Draymond Greens, against maybe the Julius Randles, who, you know, maybe on another team coming into next year. When he goes against some of these other guys who are uh, even Blake Griffin, who can now put a forearm, put an elbow in you, and get you off your spot. Now I want to see how does he deal with the contact at that point. Because dealing with the contact when you're so so much stronger than everybody else, it's completely different than when somebody can match your strength to a degree. So, And he's a great finisher. I have no doubt that he's still going to be a great finisher and that he will adapt. But that is an interesting aspect that I, I want to see first when he, he first gets that sense of, oh, okay, this guy's strong too. And I can't just bully this guy. So I really, I'm really interested to see in that moment. And then Stephen A. brought up a nice point there as well. Where, because Zion really is enamored, we're enamored with Zion, not just because of the dunks and the athleticism, which we are, that's definitely the first thing that you see. But the thing that I think, but the other aspect that makes us really enamored with him and think that he's going to be an all-time great, possibly, is really his motor. It's because you've never really seen a guy that big, that athletic, with a motor that high on both ends of the court. Um, most guys who have that super natural athletic ability where they can jump out the gym, they can run like a freight train, they really usually don't have the greatest motors. And I was thinking about this earlier. I don't think it's because they're lazy or anything like that. I think it's really because if you have to really think about the mindset of a kid, if you're 15, 16, or even younger than that, and people all your life from that point on are telling you hey man you're a special athlete you can jump out of your gym you're the fastest guy and not and i'm not even talking about just in our in your school or your neighborhood i'm talking about around the country you're one of the fastest guys the most the highest jumper you're one of the best athletes in the world right now and people at that people all of their lives since they were teenagers pre-teens have probably been telling these guys you need to protect yourself don't ruin your investment. Your body is your investment. Your legs are your investment. Don't go out there and just be reckless with it. Be careful with that stuff. And if you think about it, a lot of the NBA's greatest athletes have had that attitude. Look at a guy like Vince Carter, one of the greatest athletes the NBA has ever seen. Vince Carter never used his athleticism recklessly on the defensive end or even recklessly on the offensive end. He used it in spots where he deemed it safe enough. Fast breaks, a couple offensive plays here, maybe a clear block right there, you know, when it's not a crowded lane. Dominic Wilkins, kind of the same thing, even though he would crash the glass and, and dive in between guys like that too. But even on the defensive end, he wasn't selling out all the time with his athleticism there. You know, David Tommy, we can go down the line, all of the greatest athletes, even Jordan to a degree. Jordan was just Jordan was just so good uh, from a fundamental standpoint that he he never really had to always sell out defensively there um, to impact the game on the defensive end. 
And he just knew how to fundamentally fundamentally put himself in position to use enough of his athleticism to be a great defender. But Zion, Zion is a is a really good defender for a young guy, but he really uses a lot of reckless abandon when playing on the defensive end. You know, look at some of the blocks he had where he's, you know, like hitting his head on the backboard and you know, all this other shit. And he's like jumping over guys for rebounds and all this. And it's great. Trust me. I love it. That's what made me fall in love with the guy. But Stephen A. did have a good point that it's a with a motor that high, there is a, a little bit of recklessness that's included in being having that high of a motor. Usually you see guys who have motors that high or guys who don't have nothing to lose. Look at Dennis Rodman. Perfect example. We'll talk about him later. But perfect example for this example right here. He sold out on defense all the time. He's how many plays you can look up, how many images and videos on YouTube of him diving in the stands, you know, for loose balls and just selling out on every play for every steal, every rebound. Guys like that who feel like I'm an underdog, I'm an under, uh, I have to be an overachiever on the basketball court. Those are the guys who used to have those high motors there because they feel like that's the only way that they can really compete. They don't have all of the natural gifts. They don't have all the fundamental gifts. So they have to overachieve and their motor has to be incredibly high in order to compete at the level um, that they need to compete to be not only make it to the NBA, but win in the NBA. Zion has a motor similar to that, but he has these physical gifts as well. And this is what makes you nervous because, like Stephen A. said, just one man. It's just scary even thinking about it, like him going up that high for those rebounds and just coming down on somebody's foot just one time. Like how bad? You're 280 pounds, bro. 300 pounds coming down on that like how it, it could just take one little thing like that that can just really throw everything off for this kid and i'm definitely not wishing that on him um and i'm definitely hoping alvin gentry the coaching staff there are, are talking with him and gonna help mold him into that to say look you don't have to sell out on every play we don't need you to jump as high as the top of the backboard for every rebound just get the ball you know what i'm saying you don't have to do that all the time because you're just putting yourself you just you put yourself in an unnecessary risky situation doing that. And that that's kind of the one thing that holds me back with Zion. Um is I and I agree totally with Stephen A with that. It's just that that reckless abandon that he plays with can just come back to bite him. And I, I'm just I'm not hundred percent hundred percent sold on him being able to control himself to not do those things. And if he can't control himself to not do those things, it's going to be hard to see him not getting hurt at some point there. Like I said, definitely not wishing him the kid. That's my guy. But I'm hoping he can stay healthy like that. But those are really my only reservations. His jump shot, he has pretty good mechanics. I believe he'll be fine with that. He needs to speed it up a little bit. But really with his athleticism, I don't expect too many guys to really even play up on him. And if they do, he will just drive right, or drive right around him. So guys will mostly play off on where he where he will have time to shoot that set shot, kind of like how Magic Johnson did, you know, in the 80s. He would just, if you played up on him, he'd turn your back to you and then get into the lane for, a, you know, baby sky hook or a run or something like that. If you played off him, he could hit the set shot, you know. So I, I believe he'll have a similar thing like that. If he does get it down to where it can be a, a, a fluid pull-up jump shot, then the whole league is in trouble, <laughs> very much so. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to get it all the way there. That's a, that's a big leap. But... I believe the set shot, he can get down to be very consistent there. Um, 
and, and it really that would just kind of force guys to have to play up on him just enough where he can use his body, his speed and athleticism to get to the bucket. He'd be a pretty unguardable guy. I think he'll be a multiple time also. Like I said, I'm just talking about longevity as far as uh, my man's health there. Um, but getting into the number two pick, John Morant. This is who I think will win rookie of the year just because I believe the Memphis roster. I don't, I don't see too many other changes from them. I think they're going to probably go with what they got for this year with him and Jaron Jackson and just see how that goes, see if they can just build up some cap space, maybe get some guys to go around them. But I think this first year, they're just kind of, you know, selling the farm for just kind of seeing how this goes. They've already got rid of Mike Conley um, and, you know, sent him to the Jazz. A lot of people have having the Jazz as a title contender now because of that. Um, I'm not sure about that. I'll, the, I think with the Warriors being out, a lot of teams who were never considered title contenders are now being throw, thrown in this fray of potential title contenders like Utah and Portland and Denver. Um, I mean, all those teams are good teams. Um, and even though Denver had the number one seed last year, to me, they were never really considered a title contender. And most people never considered them. Uh, Portland, even though they got to the Western Conference Finals. I just, just be real. They, they kind of got the luck of the draw. They're kind of lucky that it was only a couple game difference between them and Houston. And really, Houston probably was the second best team in the West. And if they were the number two seed, then they meet Golden State in the Western Conference Finals instead of the second round. So, it, so it's, it's a lot of things that kind of go on. Like, I, I'm I'm not really sold on that, you know, them being title contenders. Like I said, the Lakers won in the playoffs because of the injuries. So I'm not, I'm not really sold on Utah being a title contender just yet, even though they got a nice little core. With Conley, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and Gobert. Um, they got rid of Jay Crowder, though, who I really like. So, you're going to really get a lot out of Royce O'Neal, um, you know, and Joe Ingles. I mean, they got a good team, but I, I'm not sure about title contenders. But getting back to John Moran, I just think because he's going to have so much more freedom and responsibility, he's going to be my rookie of the year pick. So far, like I said, this is very early. We don't know how the teams are going to shape out. But um, the thing that impresses me the most with John Moran is beyond those athletic plays and dunks man it's just he is a really good passer man he really has a great vision for the court he's going to be a high turnover guy though uh especially with him having the ball in his hands so much but I, I think he's going to give you enough plays there enough wow moments he's going to carry the team enough and I think especially around the end of the year he'll start to pick up some wins kind of like how Trey Young and Atlanta Hawks did this year that will give him a strong push there to get the rookie of the year and I think as long as nobody else really jumps out to a huge a huge lead in the first half of the season, I think in the second half of the season when a lot of teams are resting players, when they know they're not making the playoffs, a couple teams might be tanking. Um, I think, you know, Memphis will be able to sneak out a couple more wins there that would make their record look better. And uh, John Moran might sneak out there with that uh, Rookie of the Year award. award. But, um, yeah, man, he's a really, really, really great player, man. I, I really like John Moran a lot. His story is great from how he kind of came kind of from like an unknown pretty much uh, to being, <laughs> you know, the number two pick there. Uh, it's, it's really it's really amazing, man. Uh, I really don't have a NBA comparison for him either. Because, um, like, it's, it's really hard because back in the day, a lot of the guys coming in with the draft, they really fit ex- almost a, a, an exact mold of a previous player. Um, a lot of these younger guys now, they, they really, you know, just to take back from the the uh, Max Kellerman statement, 
they really have a bit of Frankenstein with them where they're, you know, they're, they're really pulling pieces, bits and pieces from a little of everybody. Like people have, have compared them to Darren Fox, but even Darren Fox, is not as athletic as this guy. And I'm not sure if Darren Fox passing is as good, you know, and Darren Fox, I love him. I like that guy too. You know, I, I was a big guy uh, high up on him as well. Um, cause yeah, I think he has a lot of high IQ. I think he's a guy who can be a little bit of a Rajon Rondo type as well, uh, with, with more scoring ability. Um, but yeah, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if I see De'Aaron Fox in John Moran either. You know, he did, he's kind of just his own guy. Um, but I, I'm a very, I'm very excited for him. Can't wait to see him in the summer league as well. Can't wait to see all these guys in the summer league just to get started. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to be my rookie of the year pick just because I think the responsibility that he's going to have, I think he's going to put up big numbers. I think we'll, we'll overlook a lot of the turnovers with him being a rookie and being on a bad team. Um, but I think everything else will be pretty high. I think he'll be high in steals, high in assists. I think he'll give you a lot of 20 and 10 nights there, and I think that'll pull it out for him with the Grizzlies probably getting high 20s, maybe low 30 wins. Low 30s might be pushing it. But I think the 20s and the high 20s may be enough to get him in there, um, especially with just the influx of, of both uh, the Pelicans and the Knicks, who I'm going to get into R.J. Barrett now. Because the Knicks, they're going to be the hardest one to really decipher. Like I said, they still have two max slots open, so free agency is going to be huge with them to see how that's going to be determined. So we don't even really know what team they're, they're going to have. So they're going to be almost the the most impossible to kind of figure out of what the hell, you know, their team is going to look like. Um, But I like RJ. RJ, I like a lot. Um, He disappointed me a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, in the playoffs, the NCAA tournament. I think it was a couple games where he disappeared a little bit too much for my liking. And they relied a little bit too much on Zion. But at the same time, you know, it's college. You know, the, the, the court is smaller. Um, and then also that Duke team didn't have any really pure shooters. And having all of these guys who have to drive between him, uh, Cam Reddish, and Zion, you know, and just only having, you know, Jones out there as a shooter, and he's not even really a shooter. It, it's, it's, it's understandable to a point that somebody was going to kind of fall off because it's just not enough room on the, on the court there. And it's too many guys who kind of did the same thing. So I, I can kind of see that there. But I still was a little bit disappointed in his performance in some of the tournament games. But I think he'll be fine coming into the NBA. Copy for the Knicks fans. They got somebody that they wanted there who, regardless of what the free agency uh, situation comes about, you know, they're going to have somebody who they can build around. Uh, and they still got a nice young quarter whether they get anybody or not. So I think they'll have a good future there. Uh, like I said, that's all I'm really going to cover on the draft. Not really going to cover too much else. <laughs> it's, it's too much. Uh, too much having. Uh, we need too much. Uh, got, well, I can't even talk right now. It's uh, too much stuff to be settled. It's too much stuff still up in the air to see who's going to play where, you know, how they're going to fit, what free agency is going to happen. So I don't even want to get into predictions for anybody else because you don't even really know what their team roster is going to look like. I just kind of get this gave you my thoughts on the first uh, three, the big three there, just because that's the big three everybody was talking about anyway. But um, to get into our main topic here today. I'm about to play you guys a clip from uh, First Take there with Dennis Rodman talking about the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. Uh, he said that his 96 Bulls, the 172 games, would beat that team. I disagree with him. Totally. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to pull 
some uh, some fact checking there from his former coach, uh, Phil Jackson, uh, about a guy who compares to Steph Curry and kind of go over how this guy did against those, those same Bulls um, and then kind of use that as, as, as a linchpin point for why I think the Golden State Warriors would do very well against the Bulls. But let's hear Dennis's clip first, uh, just so you guys can hear exactly what went on there. Uh, when he went on first take with uh, Stephen A. and Max. I got a question for you. Just ask me a question and answer for you. Yeah. Hey, Stephen, remember back in the, in the late 80s and, and the 90s? I got a better question for you, okay. Molly. Okay. How about this? How about the, the late 80s Warriors and the early 90s Warriors? Could the Warriors back then beat the Warriors today? They was averaging yeah. 120 points a game with two pointers. Yeah. Yeah. Answer that question. Can yeah. the, that team back then can beat this team today? I see it, yes. I don't know. I didn't I'll say yes. I'll that. say yes. Was, now with Kevin Durant. Durant. We want to know what Kevin They didn't even know how to answer that dumb shit. Uh, like, I, I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Like, Run TMC was a great team. Like, let's, let's, you know, no disrespect. But, come on, dude. Nowhere even near the goddamn Golden State Warriors now. He said they averaged 120 points with two pointers. Well, the three-point line was back then, too. And <laughs> they played no defense. At all. You, please tell me when Tim Hardaway <laughs> and Chris Mullen were great defenders. Please. Maybe Chris out of time. But Tim? Come on now. Come on now. People underestimate the Golden State Warriors defense, man. You got a defensive player of the year on there. All defensive guy in Klay Thompson as well. All defensive guy in Eagle Dollar. Come on. We can go to the next. Come on. Play the next part. Yeah. I, said, I, said, I consider the I greatest said, said, team of yeah. all time that won 72 games with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you, Ron Harper, defenders everywhere oh, yeah. you look, the greatest scorer of all time. Do the yes. Warriors with KD beat you guys? No, I, I think that uh, the best tandem still today, I thought it was Joe Dumas and Isaiah Thomas, I think Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen can guard anybody. He's six foot nine. He can guard anybody. Late to late. Kevin Durant, you'll have a hard time with Scottie Pippen. And uh, I don't know who will guard Michael Jordan on the Warriors. Literally, who? <laughs> I mean, literally, who? What three dudes? They said, put it like this. I will handle. What three? I got dudes? no problem handling that guy. Max Green guy. up so much. <laughs> he'll, be eating out of, he'll be eating out of my head. Draymond Green. Yeah, I, 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 Draymond no, Green. Draymond out. thinks he's the best defender ever. No, no. That's, uh, Draymond, keep getting your teeth straight, honey. And listen to your mama. Okay, you know, this is Dr. D. Ross calling right now, baby. You want some prescription? Come ask me. <laughs> All right. You know, I just started a rap battle against the Bagley. The they didn't even know how to answer that dumb shit he just said right there. You, I wish you guys could see Stephen A's face. He was like, what the hell are you talking about? Get your teeth straight. What? Okay. So, you know, that, that that's pretty much the clip right there <laughs> of what, you know, uh, what he was saying there. Uh, I, I'm going to weigh in on that in a second. But also, I wanted to throw in Shaq. Because Shaq also echoes something similar to this when he was on first take uh, with Ryan Hollins and Max Kellerman. Uh, and they were talking about uh, the GOAT debate there. And then it kind of converted into the Golden State Warriors versus Bulls conversation. So I just want to get Shaq's uh, thoughts as well so you guys can hear that. And then I'll respond to, to them both. Give me one sec here. Ever. What about Michael and Kobe? 
So you're just going to pass Kobe up like that? I'm going I'm to pa- pass Kobe up. I'm going to look at Michael. I'm going to look at the... <laughs> I'm going to look oh, at the... Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Patron America. Yo, yo. Patron America. You, Kobe you, Bryant couldn't feel or... My- be prepared for some old man barbershop con- <laughs> debates from Shaq. We're just going to be a lot of, oh, I'm insulted by the question type stuff. But he can't really give a good answer. So he's going to make a lot of jokes. That's why he started with the, he got Patron in his cup. Jordan, Phil LeBron shoes. The impact that he's had with different teammates, would different you organizations. Mad, would you be mad at me if I just walked off the you show? You can't leave. Hey, you, are, are, you, are you aware that this man that has tripled type. and doubled Michael Jordan in assists? Assists make other players better now. I'm going to say one thing to you. Talk Max, to you. I don't know the numbers like you do. Michael Jordan is what in the finals? Six and what? Oh. And what is LeBron in the finals? That's all I got to say. Shaq, how many? Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> the old 6-0 and no argument there because Jordan, of course, because the NBA Finals is an individual award there. The teammates doesn't matter. And who they play doesn't matter. And who was injured when they played those teams doesn't matter as well. So, you know, another old man argument. You knew that was coming there. How many game sevens did MJ go to? Zero. 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 How many times did MJ see the Warriors, though? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Will you stop it? I'm, glad I'm just Shaq, saying, though. Shaq, stop it. Shaq. He's going to beat the Warriors? Hold He's going to beat Shaq. KB, when Jordan Steph retired. Play? When Jordan yes. retired. No. Yes. They would run laps around that Bulls team, yo. Are you kidding okay. me? Okay. okay, let's go player by player. Let's go player by player. All right, point. And then you knew he was going to go with the player-by-player argument there. Because, of course, the NBA is a, is a combination of five individual one-on-one games in 48 minutes, right? No, they play a team game better than anybody. But even if Shaq wants to go player-by-player, player, it's not a good look for the Bulls. That's who you got. Point guard, you got Steph. Who's guarding Steph? Pip? No, Harper? I'm, I'm asking who. Yeah. Okay, oh, so, yeah. so look, look, look. Yeah, yeah Harper. Okay. Yeah, yes, Harper. So he's going to chase Harper. him off the yeah. three. Yeah. yeah, of course. And yeah. then guess what? And then guess what? Um, so you got Steph, you got Clay, you got KD, you got Draymond, and we plug whoever at the five. Whoever. Mm-hmm. They're going to beat that team? Yes. Because not it. to mention they're not going to guard Rodman and they're doubling every time, MJ. Listen, first of all, you got to hit those threes. Oh, okay. Uh, they hit them. Qu- oh. Another question. What- <laughs> he said you got to hit those threes. These guys shoot 40% from the field. Oh, and not to mention back in the 90s, they moved the three-point line up because nobody could shoot back then. They moved the line up from 23 feet and 9 inches up to 22 feet. So it's a short three-point. He said you got to hit those. Shaq, come on, man. Where are we playing? Are we playing in the big boy era where you can knock people on the ass or are we playing in this little cupcake era now I think they, where you can't touch people? These, I think Give they me an era. I think they win in both eras. Will you stop it? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Is Clay not tough? Clay couldn't play back Who, then? Whoever's paying him to say all this stuff, <laughs> Shaq, I will pay you Shaq, double who, to stop it. Hold on, hold on. Shaq, Shaq, Shaq. How, how did Dennis Rodman play defense? He played he- <laughs> Shaq had no response there. That's why he had to resort to jokes. He had no he had no response there. None. He had no response. He played like a man. How did Scotty Pippen take play defense? Like a man. How did Michael Jordan play defense? Ron Harper played So, I mean, you got to let bygones be bygones. <laughs> so, I, I just had to play that part there for you. Because, like I said, I'm going to respond to um, Shaq and Dennis Rodman there at the same time. 
Um, <laughs> oh, man. I'm just laughing because these old men, they, they make the same arguments there. And it, it really, I think the part that's, that makes them so upset, and I get it. Like I said, a lot of us, none of us have played the NBA, you know, to, to compare it. So that's the first thing they're going to pull is, you know, they played in the league. We haven't. So their opinion is going to be valued more. But um, Ryan Hollis is an NBA player. So his opinion matters. Um, there's also another NBA player uh, <laughs> named Gilbert Arenas. And he commented on a clip from this on uh, Sports Center's uh, IG post. And I'm going to cover that in a moment there. But I just wanted to jump into Dennis Rodman's first. Um, a couple things. First of all, he said Scottie Pippen would handle Kevin Durant. So let, let, let me start with Gilbert Arenas. Let me start with what he said, too. So now we got two NBA players from a later generation, you know, who played at a high level. Gilbert Arenas is an all-star as well. So you can say what you want about Ryan Hollins. Say, okay, he wasn't that good of a player. Okay, cool. But Gilbert Arenas it has credibility in this league. And he's not the only one that feels this way. He just put it out there, by the way. But um, Gilbert Arenas put on the Instagram page responding to uh, the Dennis Rodman saying that Draymond Green would be eating out of his hand and uh, Kevin Durant would get handled by Scottie Pippen and he didn't know who would guard uh, Jordan at all. So this, so this is what Gilbert Arenas said in response to that. And I'm going to post this on the Excuse My Bias podcast, Instagram page, and Excuse My Bias Facebook page as well, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he said, Ron Harper was a great defender. I'm going to pause right there, because I think that gets a little, I think that gets overstated right there. He's, to me, he wasn't a great defender. He was a good defender. He benefited by playing with two other great defenders, and that made him look like a, a great defender, but to me, he was never a great defender. He never made an all-defensive team. And I, you never really heard about him being a great defender on those Cleveland teams there with, with Mark Price and some of those other guys. When he gets with Jordan and Rodman and Pippen, now he's a great defender. When he really, he was the fourth best defender on the, on the court. Um, so that's just one. But I'm, but I'm cool with him saying Ron Hopper was a great defender. So I'm going to start again. He said Ron Hopper was a great defender, but Curry would do all right against him. He said Clay would get killed by Jordan, which I agree. But Clay will battle, which I also agree. Like, we got to understand, this is the 96 Jordan. It's not 93, 92 Jordan who was supremely athletic and could jump over everybody. 96, he was playing below the rim a lot. Let's be real. He was playing below the rim a lot. So, Jordan would still eat, of course, but Clay is going to battle. So, I agree with that. He said Pippen would get killed by Durant, but he will also battle. I agree completely with that one. He said Rodman would take Green out of the game. I completely agree with that as well because Draymond... Draymond pulls Draymond out the game his damn self. Like, Draymond gets all these technicals. He works his own self up. So you can add Dennis Robin into that, acting crazy. And, of course, he would take him out the game mentally with that. But I will give Draymond some credit. I think if it was a series, Draymond would adjust. He would, get, he would be okay with it. Draymond, is, he's so smart enough guy. I think we, we, we underestimate his intelligence. He's a smart enough guy to understand. If he was going into a series versus Dennis Rodman, he wasn't going to let all of the antics get to him. Okay, he was going to get to him a couple times. We already know that. He, Draymond's going to go off. But Draymond's a smart enough guy to know when to pull it back to. And end times with that. You know, a lot of times I think when he gets these technicals now, he does it to rile up the team as much. 
But I think playing against that team, he would know how valuable he is. And he, I think he would be okay. But anyway, back to it. Uh, he said, Rodman will take Green out of the game. He said, but the way Golden State plays, he said, the pick and then throw back to Green, it will be Dennis guarding Curry and Harper guarding Green with a driving dish. I'm going to pause on that because that is the exact thing that will happen. And when I go to my reference of the player from the 90s who did the same type of plays against the Chicago Bulls and was very successful, he plays very similar to Steph Curry, but not is, but he is not what Steph Curry is. I'm going to bring, I'm going to go, I'm going to harp him back to that point that Gilbert Arena said there. So uh, he said, KD and Jordan will eat. He said, now the Bulls have, have to somehow stop Clay and Curry from getting a total of 50 points. I don't know how the hell they're going to do that, but he said they need to stop that. He said because it will take the other four of the Bulls starters to total 50 points, which I completely agree. Because Jordan, even if Jordan gets his third, that's to say Jordan gets 40. Pippen, to me, is going to stay around 20, 20-ish. Rodman ain't giving you nothing. Harper may give you nine, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And then you got to hope whoever it is, Winnington, Longley, whoever the hell it is, you got to hope that they're hot and can get you 14 or 15. That's a lot of ifs. So that's a great point from that's a great point from Gibber with that is where the hell is the rest of the scoring coming going to come from? This is in the 90s where teams were getting 70 points a game. New York Knicks, Miami Heat. Um uh, <laughs> You know, getting 80 points, 90 points. The pace of the game is so much faster there uh, as well. And, and it just, the scoring will be, just be so much higher. So just to wrap it up, he said, it's a defensive team versus a scoring team. So whoever can do their job the best will win. All right, cool. I agree with everything that Gilbert said. And I'm going to harp it on a little bit what Shaq was saying about the error. Because I know that's the first thing that's going to people, that the first thing that's going to come out of people's mouth, mouths is, well, what era are they playing in? They're playing this cupcake era now when you can't touch anybody. You're going to play in the big boy era when you put somebody on the ass. Like I said, I'm going to reference. <laughs> I'm going to reference a game. Or not even a game. A series of games against a player who plays like Steph Curry where I've watched two of the full games where he went off against them. And I've watched uh, another full game of the Indiana Pacers versus Chicago Bulls and 1998 in game six there just as a reference point of how how big of a myth it really is about this physicality of the 90s like don't get me wrong the knicks the heat a couple other teams there definitely were physical and had their moments there but we got to stop acting like they were playing football back then they were still touch fouls especially for jordan all the time guys still would call for the majority of the same fouls that are called for now uh, as far as, like I said, reaching in, all that stuff there. Hand checking. I, I watch, Like I said, I watched three of those complete games this week uh, this week alone. So I'm not talking about something over time. I'm talking about this week alone. I've watched three of those complete games. And I, I, I will, I can link, you can message me, you can comment on the Excuse My Bias podcast, Instagram and Facebook pages. And ask me for the links for the games. I can show you the complete links of the game. And you, we can watch those games together. We can do a live stream cast. And I want you to show me where hand checking was effective in the game. Because the, the, <laughs> the key thing with hand checking people, 
You actually have to be close to the player to hand check them. And to get close to the player, that means you have to close the gap. If a guy is faster than you, they're going to go around you, hand check it or not. Ask me why didn't why didn't why didn't Allen Iverson get get hand checked? When Allen Iverson crossed Michael Jordan, why didn't he hand check him? Hand checking is so effective, right? <laughs> that takes these guys out of the game. Why didn't Michael Jordan hand check him then? He got his ankles broken because you can't guard a guy like <laughs> who's that quick to get up on a guy and hand check him. That means you have to have at least comparable speed to them because you can't just get up on them and hold them and because they're you know hold them and hold them in place see everybody brings up hand checking and usually use the one example of Derek Harper guarding Kenny Smith in the 94 finals with the Houston Rockets versus the New York Knicks and then they brought in Sam Cassell because he was like nah hell no nah, you're not gonna hand check me to death he kept swiping Harper's arm away he got physical right back with them so that's that's the two part one the offensive players could be just could be even more aggressive back in the 90s. And we don't give enough credence to say, well, how will the players today do do back then if they could be more aggressive with <laughs> with their offensive game? Meaning now they can push off more. They can throw a shoulder into guys more as well. So we don't give enough credence to that. Also, number two, Derek Harper only could do that on Kenny Smith because Kenny Smith wasn't fast enough there to beat him off the dribble up the court. Once he got the ball up the court and he didn't have any room on him, he could hand check him there the whole the whole court. But once <laughs> once once Seth Cassell got in the game and all he did was swipe his arm away one time and he could break off of him, put his shoulder into him and throw an elbow into him, it changed the whole series right there and Houston went on to win it. So let's let's not overdo this this whole hand checking myth there. Like this just locked up all of the guards because you can look up Rod Strickland numbers. You can look up um, Kenny Anderson's numbers, Stephon Marbury, Allen Iris. I mean, we can go down the line. Tim Hardaway, you can look up all of these small guards' numbers and tell me how was hand-checking affecting them. And you can look up this next guy. This is the guy I'm going to bring up here now because, like I said, this guy, Marks, is the linchpin of why I said the Golden State Warriors would beat the Chicago Bulls in a six, seven-game series in a seven-game series in six games. And his name is Mahmoud Adurauf. For those of you who don't know, Mahmoud Adurauf, he played with Shaquille O'Neal at LSU. His name was Chris Jackson right there before he converted to Islam. Okay? He was the first guy who you really could consider that gunslinger Steph Curry type. Quick release, could pull up at any point there. Off the dribble as well. He wasn't a guy who ran off screens like a Reggie Miller, like a Mitch Richmond, any of those guys. He was doing it off the dribble, off of the screen and roll. Okay? Phil Jackson, on February 28th of 2016, during Steph Curry's um, MVP run, this is the year he won the unanimous MVP, he tweeted out, you guys said you've never seen anything like Steph Curry before. Have you never heard of a guy... Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, a.k.a. Chris Jackson. Saying that we've seen this story before. Not to the level of Steph Curry, but you've seen a guy like him. And Phil Jackson is the perfect person to make this statement. The perfect person. Because he coached not only Dennis Rodman and Jordan Pippen, he coached Shaq as well. So he knows exactly how the Denver Nuggets, when he played with them, 
destroyed and ate the Chicago Bulls alive using a screening roll with Dikembe Mutombo and Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf. Dikembe Mutombo is not an offensive threat at all and has never been ever in his career. But they used a screening roll with Dikembe Mutombo and Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf and they would literally eat the Bulls alive using this play. Eat them alive. Now you're trying to tell me if you substitute my... So you tell me if you substitute Mahmoud Abdurov and Dikembe Mutombo for Steph Curry and Draymond Green running the same exact play that they had trouble with. Mahmoud Abdurov scored 32 on the Bulls. This is their 72 and 10 win um, season as well. This is, this is during that season. He got 32 on those boys with that. So you're trying to tell me if you substitute <laughs> Steph Curry and Draymond Green, which Draymond Green, when he receives that pass on uh, the screen and roll, he has the option to do everything, dribble, pass, and shoot. All Matumbo could do was roll to the rim, period. That's all he could do. Yeah, this was on February 4th, 1996. He got 32 on them boys. Jordan guarded him. Ron Harper guarded him. And Steve Kerr got him. He killed them all. None of them could stop because they couldn't stop the screen and roll. This is why I was saying that old man argument with Shaq saying, let's go line player by player. Like it's a bunch of one-on-one matchups. It's not. Because one, I don't believe Ron Hopper and his dreams could ever guard Steph Curry one-on-one anyway. But then you add in the fact that he's going to have to guard him off of down screens, off of flare screens, and off the screen and roll. Come on, man. When you couldn't do it with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Who, by the way, is shorter than Steph Curry, is not as fast as Steph Curry, does not have the ball handling of Steph Curry, and doesn't shoot as good as Steph Curry. But you couldn't do it against him. But we're supposed to be convinced that you could do it against Steph Curry. And then on top of that, instead of just having Dikembe roll to the rim every time, now you can have Draymond spot up for a shot, attack off the dribble, where he draws another defender. When they try to trap Steph Curry with that and then throw a lob when another guy rotates or he can set up the offense for for Clay or KD off the backside. Like, <laughs> like you could be running this screen and roll with Steph and Draymond with KD on one wing and Clay on the other. So where's your help going to come from? How are you going to stop this? How? And then on the offensive end, as we I mean, on the defensive end, as Gilbert Arena's already stated, where the hell are the other points going to come from outside of Jordan Pippen? Even if Jordan Pippen gives you 60, let's just say both of them give you 30 or Jordan gives you 40 and Pippen gives you 20. Where the hell are the other 40 coming from? Harper ain't giving you but 10. Rodman ain't giving you nothing. Coach may give you 15. And that's a maybe because he's going to probably be guarded by Iguodala off the bench. Didn't even bring him up into the equation yet. Because Dennis Rodman also said, I don't know who's going to guard Jordan. Iguodala can do a great job on Jordan. Iguodala would do a... Jordan's never been guarded by a guy like Iguodala, who's a 6'8", 7-foot wingspan guy, stronger than Jordan, 
And it's just athletic, especially Jordan 96. This is not Jordan 93. Jordan will have a hard time with Iguodala. He will still get his 30, maybe even 35, but that's going to be a, a tough 30 and 35 there, especially considering they'll run clay to him for a while. They may even throw KD at him for a while. And then they can run Iguodala off the bench, fresh, to go to go. <laughs> to go him as well. I, oh my God, it's, it's incredible how these old guys just bring up this old, the, the ice was colder argument back in the day. That's what they're doing. You know, I don't know if you guys have older grandparents or aunts and uncles or anything like that, where they always talk about how the ice was colder back in their youth and the ice cream was better and the mu- everything was better. Nothing progressed with time. Evolution and cre- evolution has made everything else in the world better, from housing to cars technology all everything else got better except for basketball everything else got better except for basketball huh that to me uh that that is just it's just ridiculous there man and like i said with phil jackson giving mahmoud abdul the credit there because he was firsthand for all of those games like if you look at the last five games that mahmoud abdul played against the bulls uh before he got traded to sacramento kings the Nuggets won three of the two games. And two of the games they lost, Mahmoud Abdul-Roof didn't even play half of the game. And the one game that they lost in 95, on January 4th, 1995, Mahmoud only played six minutes. So I, I, you can count that. I just included it into it just, just to be accurate. But, I mean, come on, he played six minutes. But the other one that I really want to focus on was on March 15th, 1996. So this is after he torched their ass for 32 uh, on March 4th, 1996. So a month later, on March 15th, he got 19 on him. But he got 19 in 21 minutes off the bench. And you might ask, okay, if he was so hot, why was he on the bench? Well, the game before, March 13th, he was suspended by the NBA because he was the first player to stop standing for the national anthem. So he was blackballed out the league his team, his coach, they, they benched him. Even when they brought him back from suspension, they benched him. He did not get his starting job back. And that summer, they traded him to the Sacramento Kings. This is, this is the main reason why we don't hear his name more. He was coming into his prime, coming into his fruition right during that time there, during that 95 to 96 era. And he was tormenting guys <laughs> during that time. Like I said, the Bulls in particular, because they could not guard that screen and roll because the Bulls would play Bill Winnington at the center, which Bill Winnington is not hedging on shit. So they would set the screen with with Matumbo. Uh, Mahmoud is coming off. Even if Winnington showed, he's going right around his slow ass and he's pulling up or he's going to the basket. Same with uh, with if they played Luke Longley there and they tried to play Robin at the five. Then they would just throw it down to Matumbo on the block. And even though Matumbo couldn't score like that, he was physical enough where he would just get to the line. And Matumbo was a surprisingly good free throw shooter for a seven-footer. He would shoot 75, almost 80%. So the Bulls really had no answer for these guys with Jordan. And they had no answer for this guy. And this guy wasn't nearly what Steph Curry was. Also, like I said earlier in the podcast, they moved up the three-point line. From almost 24 feet, which is the normal regulation uh, range, 23 feet, 9 inches. They moved up to 22 feet. 
because the scoring was so low in the 90s. This is why, again, I call it the most overrated era in league history. Like, we, we try to act like this was this glamorous era, when really it wasn't. Jordan just dominated a weak era. Let's, let's just be real. It was There wasn't any great monumental teams there. Team depth was, team depth was at an all-time low because of league expansion. They added 72 players to the league from 1988 to 1995. But where the hell did they get these other 72 players from who couldn't make the league prior to 1988? They got them from the CBA. They got them off the streets. (laughs) That's where they got these guys from. That watered down the league like hell. Like you tell me. You add water to vodka and tell me how quickly you'll get drunk. I'll wait. (laughs) Because it's going to take you a while. Add some water to your Ciroc next time and tell me how long it takes you to get drunk. That's what happened to the league during that time. When you add the Vancouver Grizzlies, you add the Toronto Raptors, the Minnesota Timberwolves added back then, the Orlando Magic, the Miami Heat. All of these teams were added in a short span. So David Stern has said, look, we're going to make the NBA now more about individual players. That's why when they had those NBC, whenever they had those showcases, it was one player versus another. It was like almost celebrity death match. Because the league was so spread out, you didn't have multiple great players on one team anymore. So that spread out the league. So that made the impact of one guy be magnified. In every other era, the best player in the league could be overtaken by teams who had great depth and had multiple great players. Hmm? <laughs> that's, that's what happens. But in the 90s until the early 2000s, whoever was the best player in the league... Their impact on the game was magnified because the league was so watered down and we didn't have the international players that we do now to fill those spots. Instead of filling those spots with 72 American CBA players, now we have international players who are just as good as the guys who would have made the league in uh, prior to 1987 now. For example, look at the Olympics. In 1992, the rest of the world was terrible. We were just like, The rest of the world just wanted to go there and shake hands and take pictures. But look at ever since 2004, the Olympics have been a competition every year for Team USA. And it's not because the, the, the All-Stars and the All-NBA guys that were sent into the league now are so much worse than the guys in the 90s. Because don't forget, in 92, they sent the old Larry Bird with a bad back. They sent, <laughs> they sent Magic after the age, uh, the age re- uh, return. And, I mean, and then they sent Jordan, you know, and Pippen. They said they said a very good team, but there was a lot of old guys on that team, too. That team was not as great as we look at the resumes for what those guys were. But that team wasn't as great as as you as as a lot of guys had filled it out to be. So so you really want to compare that team to like that Olympic team with Braun, Kobe, Wade, Bosch, White. Like, come on, stop it. Stop it. And that team with Kobe and them barely won the Olympic, barely won the gold medal. Because that's how much better the international players have gotten between that time span. So I started to go off on that tangent there, but I just had to correct two NBA legends, Dennis Rodman and Shaquille O'Neal there, who both, I mean, and like I said, I get it. You're, you're a champion, you're a player, you're going to defend your, yourself. So no, I, I don't expect anybody to ask any player today if they had to play a team from another generation, would they lose? Of course they would say yes, even whether they, whether they believe it in their heart or not. So I'm cool with that, but at least provide some context. Don't give me the old barbershop man argument 
act like you're insulted and oh let's make some jokes about your drinking and all this no make a real argument make a make a real point there and then we can talk from there but neither one of them made any damn points <laughs> neither one of them did because honestly you can't that this go to that go to state team of kevin durant is probably the greatest collection of talent probably ever the only other teams that probably will come to mind are either those celtics teams in the 80s or those lakers teams in the 80s those are probably the only other ones that will come to mind that will say you know there they have a comparable collection of talent and mind you as well <laughs> before and during the 1996 nba finals against the seattle supersonics you can go ahead and look this one up too look up what dr j larry bird and maggie johnson all said about how the league was at that time they all said it was watered down so this isn't just a jake crawford take there this is just a sideline take I'm actually regurgitating what other NBA legends have said at that time, too. Now, now they're, they're probably going to recast their statements now because they want to make sure they protect the league and everything. But at that time, they were they were still closely removed from their retirements there. So their competitive uses were still firing. And Larry Bird in particular said, I don't think that Bulls team would beat those 80s Celtics teams or Lakers teams or Sixers teams. And he has a very good damn point of why they wouldn't. So... I just want to wrap it up with that there, man. I hope I got to everything. I know I was rambling on for a bit, but I did just want to cover the top three picks there in the draft. Address the legends, Dennis Rodman and Shaquille O'Neal there. I do, like I said, I believe the Golden State Warriors would beat those Chicago Bulls in six games. And it may it may honestly be less. I'm going to be respectful, though, and say it will be six games with that. Um, but, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for checking out the podcast today. Uh, really appreciate everybody uh liking our instagram uh excuse my bias podcast page liking our excuse my bias facebook page there liking and commenting on all the contents there um we really appreciate everybody checking that out and subscribing to the podcast as well definitely more content coming up there i told you this will be the beginning of our summer myth buster series there so we're going to have some more things coming up there for you going to recap kind of the nba awards um that's coming on tomorrow on monday um, so we'll, we'll have something for that later on this week and we'll have another myth buster that we'll go ahead and explore and then we'll get ready for this uh, free agency period. It's going to get real. So we'll kind of see where some of these dominoes will start to fall there and uh, see what this upcoming season will start to look like and start to take, uh, take shape, take form. So uh, until next time, this is your boy Jay Crawford signing off. I want to thank so much. Uh, thank you guys so much once again for checking in uh, on this Sunday. I hope you guys take care and have a great one. Okay, take care. Peace.